1: Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the Best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, hey, Brad, we're back, and we have some news. Michigan State has finally hired a new assistant coach. It's Tom Fitzkelly, former player, and I think one of the last players actually on Michigan State's roster to play in the NIT. So he's come back to the team, and he's going to be a coach. He was the former assistant coach at Western Michigan. He was initially retained by Stevens, who is a former assistant coach at Michigan State, who is now the head coach at Western Michigan. And he got poached back to Michigan State, and he is taking uh, Dwayne Stevens' spot, So why don't you, uh, I guess, give a little overview on Thomas Kelly, what he what him coming over means. And I guess, you know, obviously, there's a history with Michigan State.
0: Yeah. uh, Not only the last guy to play in the NIT, which is a good one. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. (laughs) Um, Well, wait a minute. No, that's not true. That's not true because Cleves and uh, Cleves and Antonio Smith, those guys came after him. So oh, they were there fresh Yeah, but close. But what he is, is he was part of Judd Heathcote's last recruiting class. He did play one year under Judd. Uh, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Thomas Kelly, the player. He was a guy who, as I recall, and this is going back a long, long time, but I think he was a little bit snake bit. It took him a while to develop, but he looked in his junior year, after during his junior year, as if he was really ready to make a jump. And um, I remember there was a lot of excitement heading into the 97-98 season about him starting alongside Cleves. And Cleves, if people remember, had kind of a disappointing freshman year, in part because he was still recovering from his back injury, he wasn't hundred percent healthy. He never really got a hundred percent healthy, but he was really less than healthy as freshman year. And, and TK had kind of progressed to the point that there was a lot of excitement about Thomas Kelly starting alongside Cleves in the backcourt, which meant that Charlie bell would be in a reserve role as a freshman. And then Kelly got hurt. He missed that whole season. Uh, so it opened the opportunity for Charlie Bell to start as a freshman. He never relinquished that spot. Had one of the all-time great MSU careers. Cleves became Cleves that year. They won the Big Ten, went to the Sweet 16 that year, and the program was off and running. Uh, Thomas did come back the following year, so he was part of that first ISO Final Four team as a reserve. And he was he helped. He was effective. But I don't think – I think he lost some of the momentum he had started to build up. So it was a little bit unfortunate – for him, I think the end of his career, individually at least, could have been better, but for that injury, uh, he leaves Michigan State. Ends up playing professionally, I believe, for fifteen years, most of which was overseas. So he carved out a very nice career for himself in Europe. I, I actually didn't realize until today. Um, I was reading. Uh, I was reading on Twitter that he actually for a period of time played and I can't remember what country it was, but he played for a team where his coach was Sam Vincent, another former MSU oh, yeah. great. Um, so he, anyway, he had a very successful career overseas, came back home after he decided he was done and is and wanted to get into coaching. So he did two years on Michigan state staff as a grad assistant. So he was around, uh, for at least some of miles I saw highlights today of him working out before a game and in pregame workout with miles bridges. He was around for that period. And then he did four years at Western Michigan. He, he started under, um, their, uh, their previous coach, Steve Hawkins, who was a guy who'd been there a long time. He was the first guy to hire him. And then when Hawkins I think Hawkins was actually fired, if I remember correctly. And then one of his ex-assistants, Clayton Birch, got the job, and he retained Thomas. He got fired this year after two years, and DJ Stevens gets the job, and he had retained Thomas. So Thomas (laughs) actually technically coached under three head coaches in four years, which is maybe not a record, but it's got to be close. Uh, And then obviously Michigan state came calling in essence to, as you said, replace DJ Stevens. So that's the path he's been on. Um, A pretty nice, relatively rapid ride for him. I mean, he's not a, he's not a super, super young guy. Um, He's got to be in his mid to late forties, but um, to have only been doing this for six years, counting the two grad years, and be at Michigan State, that's actually a pretty quick rise in the business. Um, so hats off to him for that. Uh, you saw a lot of support today from ex-players, you know, guys of his era and guys who were on the team when he was on the staff as a grad assistant uh, really seemed excited about the hire, so that's always a good thing. Um, he's a kid from Grand Rapids, so he's got Michigan roots. He's been coaching in the state the last four years at Western. So presumably his relationships with high schools and maybe even more importantly with AAU programs uh, is solid. Um, So it's an interesting hire. I don't, if you had asked me two weeks ago to handicap it, he wouldn't have been my first choice, but that, that was just, it wasn't based on anything except my own, Uh, my own feelings about it, not anything real. Uh, Obviously, Izzo feels that there's there's a reason to go this direction. And there were four names that kind of got floated as serious contenders. And he kind of sat in the middle of that group in terms of, if you remember, one of the things Izzo talked about when the opening came, initially came about, was that he wanted a guy who he thought could relate to players because that's more important than ever um, would have some kind of feel for NIL, for the portal, all of these, you know, new school, quote unquote things. <laughs> yeah. And so that leads and led a lot of people to assume, okay, well, he's talking about a young guy and, and relatively speaking, I mean, Thomas Kelly is the youngest guy on that staff by a pretty wide margin because you're talking about, Mark Montgomery, who's probably got, I'm going to guess, at least four or five years on him. Doug Wojcik, who's got more than that. Uh, Mike Garland, who's got a lot more than that. Tom Izzo's got a lot more than that. So he is the young guy. He's just, I think a lot of people thought, okay, this is where Izzo's going to go hire somebody in their 20s or 30s. And he didn't do that. So I find that interesting. Um not surprising that he hired a guy with a Michigan State background. You know, I think sometimes there are a lot of people who are football first fans, who that's their primary interest, and they follow basketball because MSU basketball has been successful or it's the other sport, whatever it is, but they don't, they, they bring a football lens to trying to understand things, and it's really unhelpful often. This is one of those areas in football. It's not all that uncommon to hire guys that maybe you don't have great, great familiarity with personally. Right. Cause you just need so many coaches, right? you got so many spots and, and more now than ever with all the analysts and, you know, a, assistant running backs, coaches, and all of these roles, it's just ever expanding in basketball. It's not that way. It's three guys who can actually be full assistant coaches, meaning they go out on the road and recruit. Like currently, Garland can't do that in his role. Um, so it tends to be much, much, much more often than not, you will see head coaches going with guys that they know. The Phil Martelli thing at Michigan is really the exception rather than the rule. You know, um, what's much more common, especially I would say, at a place where the head coach has been in place for whatever is I was at now, 28 years, 27, something like that. Why would it not be that way? Look at the staffs that Mike Krzyzewski had. Look at the staffs that Roy Williams had. It's the same thing, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: So we knew, and, and I'd also say this one more point on that subject. Sometimes in football recruiting, you hear this, this term elephant hunter, meaning a guy Who's brought in primarily, first and foremost, because of what he can do as a recruiter, and that I, I'm sure I don't follow it as closely as I do basketball recruiting, but I'm sure that has real meaning in football. It doesn't in basketball. The only way in basketball, the head coach is always the guy, unless you have an assistant who is going to drop bags, and that was <laughs> never going to happen at Michigan State. And so that means
1: money, right? You're talking about that money.
0: means money, correct? <laughs> And so that was never going to happen. So, and and a lot of places that doesn't happen. Some places it does. But uh, the idea that Michigan State was going to go outside the box and bring in some kind of first of all, last time I checked, Tom Izzo doesn't need any help recruiting. He's I know people focus on the guys that they miss, but uh, there hasn't been anybody in the Big Ten over his tenure, over the life of it, who's been better at it than he has. Nobody. Um, and, and that's, that's across the board, that's results, that's recruiting rankings. If you care about that, um, all of it. And so I don't think he really needed the help. I know he didn't, but, um, even if you think he did, he wasn't going to go out and find some guy he never, he didn't know had no connection to that was never going to happen.
1: Sure. And I think it's it to your point, if you've been coaching as long as he has, he has, he has so many players to draw upon and former coaches and to grad assistants It'd be kind of crazy to find someone that you don't really have any relationship with. That you know right. that that you know intimately. You know that this is a personality that's going to fit with me. That they're going to handle how I am and how I get yeah. things done. Exactly, it, it should be very easy to do. And I think it's interesting you would comment to Kelly it, only in that usually Gratisons are relatively young, right? They're they're former players yep. who just didn't go pro, or they were former managers. And so he came in. He was about forty or whatever when he was a grad assistant for a couple of years. And so he's already, from a maturity standpoint, he's at a different spot than someone who's in their twenties, right? And I think that is important. Yep. Trying to manage, uh, there's definitely the relational aspect you have to people where you're you can, you can relate to them as far you know culturally when you're only about five years different in age or ten. But there's there's an importance I think of having the maturity and a life experience of of knowing how, you know, things work with families with. Uh, with trying to get work done in school and all these sorts of things. And I think that's probably, that's an important factor. I think people sometimes forget, especially with college athletics.
0: Absolutely. And I also think, you know, to the point of of what his age was when he started as a grad assistant, I, I have to believe that Izzo was very, very convinced one about the sincerity of his desire to be a coach and two, um, his uh his ability his potential as a coach to actually allow him to do that because there's a that is a role grad assistant is a role that is very competitive to get that at michigan state now it ends up in recent years we've had a a lot of guys who were former players you know, a Matt McQuaid, Tom, Tom Nairn did it. You know, there've been a lot of those guys, but there have been guys who have come from outside the program who've been in that role, who at least who didn't play here, Chris Fowler, Drew Valentine, you know? um, So it's not as if those jobs are just waiting around. It's like, okay, I'll give TK a break. I think we have to assume that he was very impressed by what Thomas Kelly was bringing to the table to even give him that up.
1: And I would think probably on a level, another level, too, he's probably interacted with him since he's been at Western Michigan for the last four years. Not only was he on staff with grad assistants, we saw what he could do there, and, you know, whatever capacity he gives the, the grad assistants, but he probably has run into the recruiting trail at AAU tournaments and things like that. So they catch up and get his thoughts on, you know, basketball and what players are looking at. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more collegiality in that role than probably uh, probably I even recognize that there's probably... There are some trade secrets, I suppose, in some respects, like who you're going after. But, you know, Michigan State is not recruiting the same players that Western Michigan right. is.
0: There's never for, any right? overlap. So,
1: yeah, so it's not like you're going after the same guy. I mean, I suppose Western Michigan would be thrilled to get anyone Michigan State's getting. But for the most part, they're not going after the same players. Let's talk about what Thomas Kelly's role is. Because I think we talked about this briefly with, with Stevens when he was leaving and going to Western Michigan. He's the the head guy when it comes to substituting players during the game. Right. And so people are upset about people coming in and out of the game. I mean, obviously Tom is ultimately is controlling that, but he hands over the, somebody keeps track of the minutes. And that's kind of what Steven's job was. And that will be someone's job this year is the expectation that Kelly takes over that role. Do you think, I I guess I haven't seen any sort of explanations for it. Or is that going to be someone who's like a Montgomery or somebody who's been around a little bit longer coach?
0: I would assume that. I, I mean, he's got, he's got two guys in, Montgomery and Doug Wojcik, who were long-term head coaches, so I have to believe it'll be one of those two guys. And I think those are the two guys that you would expect he will lean on more early on, just because you know there's there's a pecking order in terms of experience, right? Um, I would guess that with if we take as a what he said before, when the opportunity first came up. That they knew they were going to have an opening. If we take what he said at face value, then I think you would assume Kelly will have a disproportionate focus on things like um, making sure that the relationships with the kids on the team, the families, the people around them are all in good shape. I mean, that's something Izzo highlighted. Uh, he said it a few times during this offseason that. You know, people call it, um, you know, re-recruiting your team. Yeah, but it really is. It's like basically, and I think is a pretty sure I'm, I'm quoting him directly. Uh, he said, "There's just never a day off anymore. That's just how it works." Sure. Yeah. And so, I would imagine that may be something that Kelly is asked to do more than more than others. Um, maybe have more involvement in monitoring the portal which you know means being aware of who's available um, who might become available do they fit in msu all that kind of stuff um those would be the things that i would imagine that he focuses on um and that's in addition to the on-court stuff you know
1: sure yeah and and i would just add so i generally think that there's been a lot of panic in this offseason and maybe it's I would admit that I do not spend a lot of time on this on bulletin boards generally before the season. Before I took over this role as co-host, and so maybe this sort of thing happened all the time. But it seems like there's a lot of panic or just concern, and I don't know if this is out of proportion. It's
0: what out normally of normally happens. It's it's new to this level, and and the uh, the vitriol, yeah, it's it's new, and I, and I think that some of some of that is circumstances that Michigan State's had a couple of relatively down years for this program and some of it is social media continuing to become more and more of a um more and more of a shit stir let's say that that really becomes the function is you have to you have to have something to complain about you have to have something to vent about i mean that's my own opinion um and and it you know, it, it ends up getting turned around on things like sports.
1: Yeah, and I think, and especially with NIL and the the, the way the rules have changed, and the sands have shifted. I think that people really don't know what, you know, no one knows what the best way to get things done. And right. So I think there's a lot, there are a lot more opinions, I guess, on, and, and probably a general uh, concern that the game has changed or something has, sort of the equation that we knew that was a winning formula is now different. And so- yeah. Maybe we now we're doing it the wrong way, or et cetera, et cetera. Because there was a lot of concern about an assistant coach. And I I don't know, maybe I'm like, wow, I've never imagined that people were are that worried about an assistant coach departing who just gets another job. I mean, it's not like there was any sort of acrimony, there's any sort of scandal. They had a guy leave for a job which Izzo had been trying angling to get him a job for quite a while. And it's like that. It And to your point, there's not, it's not like they're recruiting 100 players, they're only recruiting, what, five or six, or I suppose maybe like, 10 or 12, right? It's not hard to do with three people. Versus right. Four. And,
0: and it was telegraphed as to, you know, generally speaking, what they were going to do. Again, I think there was a lot of, uh, I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but there is a um clearly to my, in my eyes, at least there is a generation gap. And I think we've touched on this before in the Michigan state fan base. Tom is has been around so long that it's produced that, that you now have people who are adults, at least nominally, um, who don't remember Michigan State basketball before Tom Izzo. They have no memory of it, which is hard for me to relate to, but it's true. It's absolutely true. So I think those people don't, perhaps, don't fully appreciate that in Tom Izzo's mind, There's a reason why you do things like hiring people that, you know, hiring people who have familiarity with the program, who understand its values, understand how it functions, understand what's going to be expected of them. You know, it's a much more simplistic view for them. It's, well, why don't we go out and get some guy who's in his late 20s, who's got great relationships with AAU coaches and you know, it's, and a great personality, and he relate to the kids and blah, blah, blah. Look, some of that stuff really does matter. Of course it does. But you think Tom Izzo doesn't know that? <laughs> well, yeah. And, and again, I, you know, if, if you want to point to recruiting as an issue at Michigan State, you could say fairly in my mind that, okay, they've missed on some evaluation. By the way, everybody else did, too, because the kids that they, that they signed in the 2018 class and the 2019 class and even the 2020 class were highly regarded. If those were classes that were on par with what Tom Izzo has done throughout his career. What didn't happen is not as many of those guys developed or haven't yet developed the way that you would hope or you would expect. So it's not that, oh, Izzo can't pull in guys that are highly ranked anymore because he's continuing to do that every year. What you've had is something a little different. Um, I personally think that's just kind of the roll of the dice and sometimes you're going to come up empty um, with those decisions because you can't always know how, what an 18-year-old is going to be like as a 20 or 21-year-old in the Big Ten. That's just reality. Yeah. Um, but uh, my point being, I don't think he needed I don't think there was any need for the program to go out and, and think that they're solving some problem with a hire. Uh, One, a problem I don't think exists. And two, by hiring somebody who doesn't have any connection to what Michigan state's all about. I mean, there's, you know, fan bases always go through this stuff, right? The classic example is uh, Michigan with the uh, emphasis for years and years and years on a Michigan man. I mean, it's, it's like everything else in their sad little world. It's Bo, It's a product of Bo Beckler. And if people remember, where that got started was Bill Frieder had done a deal to go to Arizona State, but he wanted to coach Michigan in the NCAA tournament. And Beckler was the athletic director at the time, and he said no. And he said, a Michigan man will coach Michigan. And Steve Fisher coached them, and they ended up winning the national title in one of the flukiest performances of all time. Um, but uh, that set the tone for them, and so for years and years and years, that had been the guiding principle. And a lot of their fan base would say that's been the case to their to its detriment. You know, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, when they finally went outside the Michigan family in football. They hired Rich Rodriguez and, you know, had the worst performances they would suffered in, what, 50 years? Yeah, so so. Yeah. maybe it's not such a bad thing to stay in-house, you know. But I I think perhaps the difference there, too, is that we're talking about it through multiple iterations, At you know, with Schembecker leaves and then it's Gary Moeller and then Gary Moeller leaves and it's Lloyd Carr. Um, with Michigan State basketball, Tom Izzo is still the head coach. So him hiring guys he has familiarity with is not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to anybody. And and if you thought they were going to go way off the board for somebody, you were kidding yourself. The the other thing is there were legitimately, I think, for this job, legitimately interesting candidates. So TK got hired, but there were other guys. Um, Maurice Joseph was a guy that was – mentioned with the job he just got hired at Butler to be part of Thad Mata's staff at Butler and people may remember he did a brief stint I think it was a year or two as a head coach at George Washington he's still a relatively young guy I think he's in his uh, probably in his mid to late 30s now still a young guy and he's actually had head, head coaching experience and a lot of years as an assistant so he was a name that was firmly in the mix. There were two other guys who were even younger. Uh, Chris Fowler, who is currently an assistant at Northern Arizona, and before that was a grad assistant at Michigan State. I believe he may have replaced TK in that role. I'd have to, I'd have to look at the timeline. Um, but Chris Fowler was is one of the all-time greats as a basketball player at Central Michigan, and he's the brother of former MSU receiver Benny Fowler. So he's a guy that's in the family, even though he didn't play at MSU. Sure. He's still in his 20s. And then the other name that was mentioned prominently was was Tom Tom Nair, who is currently head coach of the grad team at Sunrise Christian in uh, in Missouri. And I believe he's also now involved with um, an AAU program out of that state, Mocan which is one of the great AAU programs in the country year in, year out. Uh, Tom's even younger still. And there was – I was hearing that – I think there was some serious thought given to him, which is remarkable considering it tells you what Michigan State thinks of Tom Tom Nairn, that he was even that strongly considered for this job because unlike the other guys – he has never been an assistant. He's been a grad assistant, but he's never been an assistant at the collegiate level. He's only, you know, he did a year kind of as a an affiliated trainer with the Phoenix Suns. I think he did a year or two, came back to MSU, did his uh, his couple of years as a grad assistant. And then he's been at Sunrise. I believe this was his second year that he just finished. Um, so, uh, you know, for him to be considered for this job, At this point, that speaks volumes to me about how they view him. It ended up being TK. I would have thought any of those four guys would have been potentially a good fit. Got no reason to believe that Tom Ezzo doesn't know what he's doing. So I'm going to assume that for this job at this point, Thomas Kelly was the best choice. Um, I have heard kind of related, and we'll see if this comes to pass, but I have heard some let's call it informed speculation that Thomas (laughs) Kelly's replacement at Western may well be Chris Fowler, (laughs) which would be interesting because it would be another guy kind of moving up the line. You know Um, I Western is probably a little bit of a step up from Northern Arizona. uh, But um, that would be interesting and that would be a progression for him. And again, you've got another guy that in line, I don't, I don't know, you know, with MSU staff, it's going to be interesting because I would kind of be surprised to see Doug Wojcik as a head coach again. I feel like where his career is at, yeah, right. this is probably kind of it. Mark McGon- and TK just got here. So you would think he's probably not going anywhere real soon. Mark Montgomery is the one that I could kind of see it going either way. Cause he's still young enough that I could see him getting another crack as a head coach. I don't know how badly he wants that. He might, you know, but I, I guess my point is, I don't know the next time that MSU's going to have in the near term, at least is likely to have another opening, sure. you know, but, but if they do guys like Chris Fowler, you know, if Tom gets an assistance job somewhere, uh, over the next couple of years. Um, those are the kind of things as a Michigan State fan, those are the kind of things I wanna see happening because the more guys there are with MSU connections that are in the profession, the more opportunities there are for people to develop into a really, really, really good coach. And that could be an option in one capacity or another at Michigan State down the road. And so you just want as many of those guys as possible and again i think it's i think it's a really good thing that there were this many names out there that were connected with it had those connections to michigan state and look like they may have promising futures so good good all the way around
1: when it comes to basketball uh, what is your perception of the importance of an assistant coach i mean obviously there's a lot of stuff they do there're only only a few of them on the staff but i feel like in football like for instance your offensive coordinator That's a really important hire. Your defensive coordinator, really important hires. That's the person who's in charge, either your offense or defense. And, you know, people know who they are. Most people don't, most, most fans don't know who the assistant coaches are. Uh, They don't know their names. They don't know, maybe they knew Stevens, but for the most part, you know, unless you're really into the program or into basketball, you're not going to know these coaches because they're not, they're not prominent in, in sort of Part of the strategy. Now, may, they may be behind the scenes important, you know, with, with uh, prepping and with uh, scouting and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, if you were to get a lousy coach for a year, I don't feel like it would, it would derail a season. Like, you know, like if you had a bad offensive coordinator, it may just ruin your season in football. Yeah.
0: I, I think, again, this, this comes down to the very significant differences between the two sports. I, I hear you. And you're, you're, you're probably right about that. You know, with rare exceptions there's no such thing as an offensive or defensive coordinator in basketball. Now Michigan had an exception to that and they needed to because John Beeline didn't care about, didn't understand whatever it was, the defensive end. And so he actually needed to bring in a couple different guys along the way who did understand defense and they got markedly better at that end after he made that change. But that is a rarity. So you see it sometimes. I mean, there's a guy named Larry Shiat, who I believe was a head coach at Wyoming, and he probably was a head coach at some at someplace else, too, I'm forgetting. But he was the guy that was really credited with being the strategic genius, again, on the defensive end, at Florida. When they won those back-to-back titles under Billy Donovan, Shiat was an assistant, and I remember there was a lot of talk that he was actually the power behind the throne, so to speak. Billy Donovan had had some success before then, but hadn't really been able to get over the hump. I mean, Michigan State blew him out in a title game. He'd had some teams with high expectations that didn't meet them in the years after that, and then they finally broke through those back-to-back titles, and it was a lot of it was credit to Shyit, the guy who was, just finished his first year as head coach at Texas Tech, Mark Adams was supposedly the defensive genius on Chris Beard's staff at Texas tech. And a lot of the credit for that really, um, really effective team defense that they've played was given to him. And the way they played this year with him as the head coach of Beard in Austin, I looks like pretty solid reasoning to me because they were still really good defensively. So sometimes you get that, but I think most places, it's not that way. I think most places, it's all the things you mentioned. It's, it's scouting, it's preparation, it's um, offering strategic insights when you have them. It's maybe bringing, you know, and this is the thing that, you know, Izzo's. He's done it on a few occasions where you could argue that the reason to bring in someone from the outside is to get fresh eyes and a fresh voice in terms of what you're doing. And he has done that before. I mean, Doug Wojcik, when he hired him the first time, was a guy with no connections to Izzo or Michigan State. He, he had played, I think he played at the Naval Academy, and he had been at North Carolina as an assistant prior to that. And maybe Notre Dame, too, before that, I don't remember. Uh, but totally outside the Izzo tree. So he maybe brought in some of that. Um, there was uh, there was the one year that he brought Jim Boylan in, who is a Michigan State guy. He coached with him under Judd. Uh, then Jim Boylan went off to the NBA for a while as an assistant. He since has been a head coach in the NBA, but um, he had Jim Boylan come in for one year, and Jim Boylan brought in some NBA offensive concepts that Michigan State used. So, He has done that before, but I think for the most part, Izzo's pretty good, far, far better than most fans realize because I see blatantly incorrect things said all the time about his being stubborn and never adjusting what he does. Offensively, they've adjusted constantly over the years. So what I guess I'm saying is I think he does a pretty good job of doing that even without constantly bringing in fresh voices from outside. But I think, I think part of that is that his assistants are empowered. You know, it's just like he talks about all the time that a player coach team is the best team. And he wants players who will bark back at him. If they think they're right, and he's wrong. He just says, you better be right. <laughs> and we'll, but we see that all the time, right? That's yeah. that's the funny part about, and I know I'm kind of careening around here, but um You know, the flack that Izzo has gotten on a few occasions, especially in recent years, with his going after players, do people see that the players go back at him? And that it's not like they're benched. It's not like they suffer some consequence from that. The point is, he wants that. He wants an atmosphere where guys feel empowered to speak their minds. And I think that also, you have to believe, that that extends to his coaching staff as well. I think he has high expectations, but I think those guys do get a voice. So I would imagine that, you know, Thomas Kelly and the rest of those guys will all continue to have input across the board in what Michigan State does. You know, it's yeah. not going to be, well, this guy's a defensive specialist. That's not how it works at MS. Right, Michigan. and
1: I, I recall a story at some point too about Izzo and how he's a little different in how he deals, deals with his coaching staff and that he gives them... Pretty much all identical responsibilities in recruiting and, yep. and so that they sort of are mini head coaches, or they at least have the they have uh, they at least have the skill set or the knowledge of what it takes to be a head coach. What you know, what roles you have to play, and so he involves them in all those things, mm-hmm. which is was somewhat to his detriment early on. I mean, because people would be ready to be head coaches, which is a great thing for it's it's how you get good assistant coaches, right? If you know that it's a yep. that it, it it it's a good platform for you to to further your career. Because those are people you want. You don't want someone who just wants. I think in general, you don't want people who just are okay with being average, right? Especially here at a program like Michigan State. Uh, the only w- the question I have with with assistant coaches too is, I still feel like I very much agree with you. And I actually this is just expand upon your point. You look at say uh, Memphis is a good example. I think Larry Brown comes into that program with Penny Hardaway. I don't know that you could watch that team and you'd say, oh, well, this is definitely influenced by Larry Brown. I mean, the way right. they're playing is totally different than they were before. I mean, he sits on the bench. I don't know what he did. I mean, I guess he just picked up a paycheck, but it certainly didn't look like he influenced how they ran their team or how they conducted themselves at the court. It just, in no way did it seem like a Larry <laughs> Brown team, right? I mean, so it was, he was, it's still Penny Hardaway who's running the whole thing, right? It's like still the head coach.
0: Right. That would be. I mean, the, the Larry Brown mantra was always play the right way, especially when he's in Detroit. I think Memphis this year would be the opposite of that. <laughs> Playing the wrong way all the goddamn time. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's exactly right. You bring in a guy like that who has that kind of experience, clearly has pretty well-defined ideas about how the game should be played, and a resume to back up the idea that he knows what he's talking about right and yet clearly he had no influence the other thing was you know they also had Rasheed Wallace on that staff and Rasheed Wallace kind of quietly was out about halfway during the season Um, and I had read that it was a Apparently around this, that he felt he, there wasn't any point to his being around. Now, say what you will about Rashid Wallace, but at least as a player, I think he was one of the smartest players I've ever seen. And because he's a North Carolina guy and a Larry Brown guy in particular, um, I would have expected that he probably would have seen things very similarly to Larry Brown. And yet you didn't see it on the court. So that would probably be an example of a place where an assistant doesn't have the voice. Yeah, right. That they do at Michigan State. But I think you're also right, absolutely, about Izzo's intent. Uh, He is looking to develop guys to be head coaches. Now, you know, the staff he's got now, as we just talked about, I don't know about Monty. I'd be kind of surprised if Wojcik was looking to be a head coach again. So really it's going to be about Thomas Kelly, but you know, those other guys, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be any different. I think he's going to ask all of them to do some of everything, you know, that's, there were also people just on, on the specialization front. There were people who were hung up on the idea. I, I couldn't believe it when I would see this, that, You know, Michigan State lost DJ Stevens, who was known to work disproportionately with MSU's big men and got a lot of credit for the way that Michigan State's big men developed over time. And I think fairly so. um, Rightly so. But the fact that all the guys MSU was looking at to replace him were guards when they played, they're actually what's Michigan State going to do? I you know, are they gonna lose out on Xavier Booker because they, they don't have a big man coach anymore? And I said, who was the big man coach um, at uh, at Duke? Who was the big man coach at Michigan? Other than Juwan Howard would be, but um, unless you have Juwan Howard or say Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, you probably don't have anybody six eight. There aren't that many six, eight and above guys that are coaching, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just was crazy. It's like, no, no, you can be an effective big man coach and not have played that position. It's very possible. In fact, it's likely. And Michigan State had good big man play before DJ Stevens got here. DJ Stevens didn't coach Zach Randolph or Andre Hudson or Antonio Smith. And best as I can remember, all the guys on those staffs at MSU were, you know, guard size. So. <laughs> uh, it, 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 this one just brought out the crazy, and, and in so many ways, this opening and this this period, this off season already, has just set the record for insane takes, and and the assistant coaching thing was no exception.
1: I think in many ways, COVID has broken our brains, in, and oh yeah, and uh and it's spilling over and. Really what we need is we need a season that is, uh, that is a season that is hopeful. That is one that we do well and we're contending for the big 10 title up to the last say four or five games, like in serious contention and, and we've got a good team and I think probably COVID in some ways, maybe affects Michigan state more. And I think you, you touched upon this like maybe a year or so ago yeah. uh, where maybe yeah. is pro- those type of program Duke, Kentucky are ones that really rely on that getting into the, developing the system and that those coaches have sort of a set pattern of how they coach a rhythm to the season. Yeah. And you bust that up with COVID or some sort of crazy thing. And then now next thing you know, things just aren't quite running right. And and you know, maybe those players who they missed on, maybe they would have developed differently had there not been COVID. I mean, there are all kinds of what ifs forever that you can go through. And and again, we're still talking about a team that yes, made the tournament to, has made the tournament the last two years too. Almost won. You know, the first year they lost that dumb game in the, the first round against UCLA and the last year almost beat Duke in the second round. I mean, it's like right. it's not like this is a complete failure uh, well, of a team. Well, this, right?
0: this goes to expectations. And again, it gets to that generational divide where, you know, uh, th- these seasons have been abject disasters to some people and, and no. I'm not saying, hey, I'm thrilled with Michigan State going 11 and nine in the league and bouncing out in the first round of of the first weekend of the tournament. We all want more than that because we've all seen better than that many, many, many times over the years. But there has to be a proportionality to this. You have to understand, yeah, it's a little disappointing, but let's not get on, let's not allow ourselves to get to this mode of thinking where the house is on fire. Yeah. Right. It's not. It's not. You want the house on fire? Look at the 1980s. Yes. NCAA yeah. appearances three times. No, I'm sorry, twice in 10 years. Twice. That's that's a house on fire. And by the way, Judd didn't get fired. But no. Even with that. And, and I'm not knocking Judd, but you know what I'm saying. It's just yeah. when when you've experienced that, um, you know, in the, the entire decade of the '70s, they made the tournament twice, both times with Magic Johnson. You know, it. Trust me, it can be so much worse. You you have to keep in perspective where things are, you know. And I, look, I think that there's there's reason for hope. There's reason for optimism. You know, we're, we're going to, over the course of the summer, once rosters get finalized, we'll do the usual here. We'll do a preview around the league. But I can tell you, we were talking about this before we started rolling. I, I don't see a single team in the Big Ten that I absolutely love right now. Everybody's got problems, real problems. Yeah. So – What that means is you can say, well, Michigan State's roster construction is flawed because they've got uh, a guy who hasn't played very much over two years and a freshman who maybe has defensive concerns as their fives. Okay, but look around the league and point out to me who doesn't have equivalent problems, and the other thing that argues in Michigan State's favor in that scenario is where we can assume they'll be strong is in the backcourt. And generally speaking, in college basketball, if you have good guard play, you're going to win a lot of games. So uh, nothing's guaranteed, and I'm certainly not even saying I think Michigan State is the favorite. I don't. But I think there's a reasonable chance that they're going to be more successful than some of the crazies think this coming season. I think there's an opportunity, and there's certainly a scenario you could see where that could happen.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it may just, just like with head, the the uh, assistant coaching search and looking at the portal, the enemy of good is perfect. And I think in right. some ways we, we, you could, you could potentially break a lot of, a lot of worse things than, than just accepting what you have and working with it. And it may turn into be much more than you, than you thought, which is, I think is, I think there's certainly room for potential. The ceiling is, is probably more than what we thought. And so, well we'll see how that goes, plays out.
0: You know, and look, if if the if the response to all that is okay, so basically what you're saying is you think they might be able to be okay in a bad Big Ten. But this program isn't based on that. It's a final fours contending for national championships. All right. I hear you. If if you're asking me to go on a polygraph now and answer the question, uh, (laughs) does Michigan State have at least a good chance to be a Final Four level team, I would, of course, answer no. But it's June. (laughs) And I would have said that the 2018-19 team at this point in that summer, did that team have a good chance to be a Final Four group? I would have said no. And yet they were because guys change over time. And Tom Izzo tends to produce that. He tends to put environments together where that happens for guys. And the last two years, the fact that it didn't happen to the level we all hoped for doesn't convince me that it's not going to happen again, that, oh, he's done with that now. Can't can't do that anymore. I, don't, I have no, that cuts the opposite way from, from how I would be inclined to view it, which is a guy who's done it repeatedly over and over and over probably is going to figure out a way to do it again. Now, does it happen this year? I don't know. But we're gonna get a chance to find out, hopefully.
1: Yeah. Well, it it'd be interesting too to look at other fan fan bases and to say what their perception of Michigan State is coming into the season. I don't think they're probably thinking that Michigan State's a pushover. Right? No. You, and so you know what? And so that well, that's all you need to know,
0: right? I've been I've actually been a little bit surprised, although I shouldn't be by looking around if you look around at the national guys that are putting out, you know, absurdly early top 25s and all that pretty consistently Michigan State's in the top 3 or 4 in the Big 10. And and far more often than not they're in the preseason top 25. So, it's not bad. No, it's not bad. <laughs> top 25 it, teams. Yeah. It would, you know, especially if I if I looked at some elements of the Michigan State fan base over the last couple months, and try to piece that together with this other perception from non Michigan state affiliated people, it has to make you wonder who's got it. Right. I would, I would tend to think, uh, you know, the folks that look at the track record and and also look at what Michigan state does in fact have, that's the other thing with all the focus on, Oh, they don't have a five. They're not being aggressive in the portal, all this stuff they, they lose max Christie, Um, they've got some guys coming back that I think there's good reason to be optimistic about. Do they have any perfect players? No. They probably don't have anybody who's going to be on a preseason first team all Big Ten, but they got a lot of guys who have done some good things and have the potential to do those good things more consistently. So we'll see.
1: All that matters is that you're in the postseason All-Big Ten team, not the preseason All-Big Ten That
0: too. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, if you look at last season's Big Ten and you look at guys like Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis, um, where they were in the preseason in terms of how they were viewed versus how they were viewed afterward, pretty big difference. I'm not saying that's definitive. Uh, in terms of it happening for somebody at Michigan State, but it could. If you look at guys like Jaden Akins, if you look at a guy like A.J. Hogard or Tyson Walker even, or even Malik Hall, and say, is it impossible that that guy could find it and become an all Big Ten level player? I would say, no, it's far from impossible. The potential's there. They just have to make good on it.
1: Sure. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I encourage you, if you've not yet subscribed to the show, make sure you are subscribed to it and, recommend it to your friends and family. If you have any questions, uh, ideas for the show, we'd be more than happy to get it at TFFINOTS. That's TFFINOTS. We have the most complicated podcast name in the world. So TFFINOTS at gmail.com. And until next time, the final four is not in the schedule. Go green.